We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Happy trade deadline day in the NFL. Used to be only a Major League Baseball thing. This ought to be a very interesting eight hours in the NFL a lot of big names on the trade block some all pros a who's who of defensive backs we got it all covered for you welcome into home and home on trade deadline day radio.com sports original we are brought to you by zip recruiter try zip recruiter for free right now it's zip recruiter.com slash enter zip recruiter is the smartest way to hire Couple of guests for you in the eight o'clock hour. Patricia Trainer covers the New York Giants for Sports Illustrated. What does she make of the Leonard Williams deal? Not a whole lot of time left for him to make an impression and get a contract with this new team. And he doesn't even have to move after being traded. And Jason Lockenfora gives us all the latest news on the trade deadline in the nine o'clock hour. He's all over it. In the 10 o'clock hour, Mattress Mac. If you don't know who that is, you aren't paying too much attention to the World Series action because this guy has more than $10 million on the Houston Astros, perhaps trying to leverage his losses on an in-store promotion. A lot of fun to get to today. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, back home in Pennsylvania after a highly anticipated Monday night football contest. If you missed it, well, we understand. But Ross Tucker, you did, my friend, get an up-close and personal view at what tanking looks like in the NFL. And it sure was interesting on 3rd and 20 at the 45-yard line with 20 seconds left in the half. And it looked like Miami had a shot to win this game. And tell us, Ross, what happened next. Well, the thing that immediately preceded that, Dave, that should be noted is the Dolphins had the ball at midfield with uh, underneath the two-minute drill, you know, like a minute 45 or whatever was on the clock at that point. And it looked like they might just run the clock out on first down. They thought, you know, know what? We got a veteran quarterback. He'll be conservative with the ball. And he was. He threw the ball to their tight end, Nick O'Leary. It hit him right between the eight and the three, bounced up in the air, and the Steelers intercepted it. So it's important to note that it looked like the Dolphins had a terrific chance to go into halftime 14-3. to The Steelers were no longer going to be using timeouts at that point. The Dolphins were at midfield. They elected to be aggressive. That's important, Dave, because that's context for what happens next. Steelers move the ball a little bit. Then they have a couple penalties to set up what you just laid out there. Third and 20, 20 seconds left. I'd have to pull up the yard line, but it was like, what, the 40-yard line, 35, something like that? It was at the 45-yard line, third and 20. Yeah, third and 20, 
45 yard line, 20 seconds left. And the Dolphins came with an absolutely all out cover zero blitz. What does that mean? That means there's not even a safety in the middle of the field. It means you are strictly man-to-man on the three eligible receivers. They brought eight. They brought the house. That is pretty rare in the NFL to bring the house. Your defensive backs play off a little bit. Some would say the theory is the quarterback has to get the ball out of his hands almost immediately because somebody's going to come free. You make the tackle short of the line to gain, it's fourth down. That is not what happened. Uh, They were playing so far off that Deontay Johnson caught a little slant, looked like he was shot out of a rocket, went right down the field. The other defensive backs are all covering their guys man-to-man. So they're not even looking. There's nobody there to actually make the tackle until about the goal line where one Dolphins defensive back got annihilated. I think Juju Smith-Schuster made the block. Maybe it was James Washington. Hard to tell sometimes at sideline level. And the Steelers got a touchdown to go in at halftime 14-10. to And it totally, utterly changed the complexion of the game. I was right there with Mike Tomlin on the sidelines as Lisa Salters interviewed him. I listened in. Totally different vibe, aura, everything for the Steelers players, the entire building, and certainly Mike Tomlin after that touchdown. The difference between 14-3 and 14-10 is gigantic. Meanwhile, I then went past the Dolphins players as I went to where I had hid three grilled chicken caprese sandwiches for myself (laughs) for halftime. And I walked past the Dolphins players and it was like night of the living dead. I mean, they looked mortified, horrible. Body language was not good. I'll say this, Dave. I don't believe that the Dolphins made that call. Brian Flores, in particular, who talked about it after the game. I don't believe that they made that call with the intention of giving up a touchdown on purpose to tank. I don't believe that. I believe it was total, utter incompetence. And that... It was, frankly, a disgrace of a call. At worst in that scenario, you play a soft zone coverage. You let them catch it in front of you. You rally to the ball. You make the tackle. Worst case scenario, they kick a field goal. You're still up 14-6, to and they still don't have the momentum. I'll say this, though. And I had several people reach out to me. When you have the strategy that the Dolphins have this year, which is clearly, and we all know it, to try to stockpile draft picks like they did yesterday when they traded Kenyon Drake the day of the game, 
in order to try to build, sustain success in 2020 and beyond, you open yourself up to speculation that they intentionally made that call to give the Steelers a chance. And I, and I had enough people say to me, wow, that, that, that looks like a tank job. That looks like a tank call. And that's one of the things that goes along with their strategy. I don't think they would do that, Dave. They couldn't control that O'Leary had the interception. There are more. Uh, there are other ways they could have tanked in the second half to make sure that they didn't win the game, or against the Bills the week before, or against uh, whoever they played. Oh, the Redskins two weeks before that. You know, there's more things you would do to ensure you didn't win if that's the case. But man, oh man, it certainly looked like it for people that want to see that. Booger McFarland commented during the game that it doesn't make any sense to make that call in that situation. So there's good news, Miami. Ross Tucker says it's not intentionally tanking all-out blitz, cover zero on third and 20, under a minute left in a game you could win. It's incompetence. It's incompetence. It's not intentionally tanking. It. I, I will give you the credit towards... Yes, passing the ball on the prior drive, and therefore you were being aggressive. This sure looked to all the rest of us like a play that could only end in one situation. That's a touchdown because Mason Rudolph was playing terrible football. He was not completing passes. He was not making the right decisions. You gave him an opportunity to hit a wide open receiver, soft cover zero coverage, Sure felt like all the football world saw tanking in one play. Here is, though, Brian Flores, his defense of the all-out blitz, third and 20, under a minute, just about midfield. Listen. The guys did a good job defensively getting pressure on them. Uh, we wanted to stay with it. You know, you know, I don't have any regrets on the call. I mean, I thought I think you know, they made a play, just like we had made some plays prior, prior to that uh, defensively. And... Uh, you know, we just move on. We want to be aggressive. I mean, I mean we can second-guess a lot of calls, and I'm not going to second-guess that one. Um, I think we had success with the call, and, um, you know, they made a play. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's 14 to 10 at halftime. We had opportunities in the second half. We didn't take advantage of them. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that was the, you know, the, the play that, you know, was the detriment of the game. I mean, we turned the ball over four times. Um, so, you know, as a total team, we, we didn't do enough to win the game. There's Brian Flores defending that decision. You watched the game earlier. They brought pressure with four or five defensive linemen. In that situation, a reminder, they brought eight. What is the view of tanking when you're down there on the sideline? Do you see players look down, look drained, look like they want to be anywhere but that? This is a violent and dangerous football game these men are playing and to be playing it, believing that your coaches, that your front office, that the management wants you to lose. I can't imagine taking a single snap on an NFL football field where I can get a concussion, break a leg, tear an ACL, any given play, knowing my organization is not trying to win. Do you believe Flores? And what do you see in these men on the Dolphins roster? Well, it's funny, Dave, because I do believe Flores. 
But if you think about it, right, in the big picture, isn't incompetence worse than that call being intentional? In other Absolutely. words, we, we, we all know already that they're not trying to really win games this year, that they want to get the number one pick or at least a very high pick to draft the quarterback. We all know that already. So if you're a Dolphins fan, you would almost prefer if that was an intentional call to tank because that's the strategy this year in terms of trying to build for the future. Incompetence is worse. That is worse. And Dave, I'm on board with them bringing six there if they want to try to heat Mason Rudolph up. Maybe even seven with cover one, which is man-to-man and a single high safety in the middle of the field. Cover zero, though, on third and 20? That is, let's just say this, it's extremely rare, extremely rare, given all the circumstances, that you wouldn't at least have cover one and a safety in the middle of the field I think the players were probably pretty disappointed. To Flores' credit, I guess, they had been coming with pressure a lot. It had been bothering Mason Rudolph, but not like that. Not bringing eight on third and 20. It's a horrific call. And I'm just telling you, seeing so many of the players at halftime, they just looked so defeated because it was like, they had played so hard. They had played very well. And I think they thought that last night was going to be their night. That last night was going to be their reward for all the time, effort, energy, and pain that they put in. But just look at them at halftime, Dave. I, I, I knew it was over. I knew it was over. At that point, it was whether or not the, the Dolphins covered the 14 and a half points in my mind that I told people to take on the Even Money podcast, available here on the radio.com app. And frankly, that was that was the only thing that was seemingly left in debate at that point. They looked like a defeated team at halftime. And when you're on the sideline after like the Mark Walton fumble, when the Dolphins, I think at that point it might have been 17-14 after the Juju Smith touchdown, The Dolphins are moving the ball again. They get the ball to Mark Walton, middle of the field. He runs into Steelers' territory inside the 40 and then fumbles. There is absolutely a here-we-go-again look, vibe, whatever from everyone on the sideline. The trainers, the team doctors, the equipment guys. Certainly the players. It's just uh, here we go again. And you mentioned uh, Mark Walton, and that's because they trade their leading rusher, Kenyon Drake, earlier in the day. And we will get to more trade deadline stuff in a bit. But when you look at that trade, well, from both perspectives, uh, a little bizarre. From an Arizona perspective, you've got a team who's going really nowhere in this season. And they trade for yet another running back to add to David Johnson and to Chase Edmonds. Two very good running backs. Makes you wonder about uh, David Johnson's health long term and in the short term. But also, if you're Miami and you 
give away your leading rusher, it's not as if they got a first or a second. When you give away your leading rusher, uh, Yes, last year of his contract, need to get something for him, but you essentially gave him away. Can't imagine that has any more positive impact on the guys in that locker room. And down the road, it makes you wonder, to your point about incompetence, how the Miami Dolphins will manage tanking, how they'll get through it, what they'll do with the $100 million in cap space, what they'll do with the nine first and second round picks over the next two years. Are they tanking for Tua? That is not entirely clear. He may not be the best player in this draft, may not even be the best quarterback in this draft. Some think it's Joe Burrow, and a lot of people think Chase Young of Ohio State is the best player overall in this draft. But overall, do you wonder about the competence of this organization managing its way through this tanking job to rebuild and become a powerhouse in the AFC once Tom Brady and Bill Belichick retire? This is a fascinating experiment. And it's either going to go really, really well or blow up in the Dolphins' face. Well, and here's the thing, Dave. Here's the thing that's so intriguing about it, right? What if they do win a game? You know what I mean? Like, they're putting all of their eggs seemingly in this basket. What if they do beat the Bengals when they play head-to-head? And what if it's the Bengals that get the number one pick? And take two Tonga Vailoa. You know, that that's a that's a pretty significant strategy to then maybe not get the guy you want at by far the most important position. And how about even let me go further, Dave? This is Tua Tonga Vailoa's second year as a starter in college football. This is also the second year in a row he's gotten hurt and had to have ankle surgery during the season. Second year, both ankles now. You're putting all of your eggs, or at least a lot of them, into the basket of a player who cannot stay healthy at the college level. It's bold, Dave. I mean, it's a a bold, because here's the thing. The whole thing falls apart. If the quarterback you take can't play, whether he's injured or whether he's just not good, the whole, this whole strategy crumbles. If that's the case, it would be like the Sixers, right? Think about the Sixers. Several of the guys that they trusted the process for Dave did not work out. Jalil Okafor and Nerland's Noel, not really. Markel Fultz, absolutely not. But the Sixers just kept going and going and going back to that well, however many years in a row it was, four or five. Are the Dolphins really going to do that? Like, are they going to draft the quarterback this year, and if he stinks, then it's tank for Trevor the next year? And they try to get, they try to get Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, and maybe that is the strategy. I don't know, but wow, I, I think it's just a, it's a much different sport than basketball, and I feel like maybe I'm wrong because I just gave examples of high NBA picks that aren't good. They did get Ben wow. Simmons, they did get Joel Embiid, but in my mind, taking a top quarterback's what 50-50 at best. At best, and, and, and 
And a lot of the shine is off of Trevor Lawrence with eight interceptions already this season, far more than he had last year. But the NBA, it is easier because you need about three star players in the NBA to have a competitive roster. And in the Eastern Conference, that's about all you need to have a legitimate title contender, at least to get you to a finals. That's about all you need. Five starters out there on the court. The Miami Dolphins are depleted across the board in talent. How you're going to rebuild that roster in one draft, two draft, even three drafts, not entirely clear. And with the damage you're doing this season, how many free agents want to go to Miami, even with the lure of South Beach, even with the lure of no state income tax? How many top free agents want to go be part of this rebuild tanking job not entirely clear and look the Patriots are a great example these top one and two first round draft picks second round draft picks are not a sure thing you're going to have to hit on 75 percent or better for this Miami Dolphins team to have a rebuild by the way we haven't mentioned the Pittsburgh Steelers they did go on to win this game 27-14 18 straight they've won on Monday night football Mason Rudolph did look better in the second half, but certainly looked like a guy that is not a first-round grade like the Pittsburgh Steelers thought they had. This is a kid that's going to make them very eager to get Big Ben off the, uh, back on the field next season. But I don't want to get too lost in the game details here without getting back to one thing you mentioned there. And I believe it was hid three different chicken sandwiches somewhere down on the field. That is some impressive reconnaissance work by you, Ross. Tell me more about that. Well, Dave, this is, this is very important. Um, yeah. I, you know that I take press box food very, very seriously. Very seriously. Um, I posted on my Twitter and Instagram, which are both at Ross Tucker NFL. You're at Dave Briggs TV. The, the show, of course, is at RDC Home and Home and the sports network at RDC Sports. And Dave, let me just tell you, do a college game every week, do a bunch of NFL games. I got to Pittsburgh last night and I knew the Steelers were ready to play. Uh, although now that I think about it, they absolutely they were weren't. not ready to play for the no. first half. No. Not until uh, you got to check out my you got to check out my post. They had pasta salad, which I did. Are we we got audio on this, guys? All right, no. So they had pasta salad, which I didn't have, but I heard was great. Unbelievable spinach salad with blueberries and raspberries, chicken caprese salad, Brussels sprouts with the little pancetta like bacon stuff, three cheese mac and cheese. And then sliced mm. New York mm. strip tenderloin. Across the way, they had nachos and cheese and chili. Then they had a dessert table as well. I had one peanut butter cookie, slight downgrade. It was hard and not soft. Dave, I had three full plates worth. Three. The first plate was Brussels sprouts mac and cheese, and the carving station strip loin. The second one was a plate, a bed of the spinach salad lettuce with the balsamic with more New York strip loin on top of the salad. 
The third plate. I'm not. Jeez. I'm not shitting you. The third plate <laughs> was entirely roasted Brussels sprouts because the flavor was so good. And then they had all those little pancetta, little meat cubes inside. So you scoop it up and you get the Brussels sprouts because I'm crazy healthy with the pancetta in there. So, so good. But then here's a little tip for those of you that are ever on the sideline for an NFL game. You don't get to come back up to the press box at halftime. You don't know what you're getting into at halftime. So after having three plates worth before the game, full plates, oh, I man, thought. You got to watch was it, it, pal. That was at 6 o'clock. I thought, you know what? I'm not getting home till 3 a.m. at the earliest. Halftime's a long way away. 9.30 maybe, the earliest. I took three of the chicken caprese sandwiches, put it on a plate, covered the plate, put some napkins in there, went downstairs at Heinz Field. They have like a media workroom area where the photographers are. There's like lockers there. Little, little tip here. I always go high. I go high. Turns out, not a lot of photographers are 6'5". I go high. I don't go to the top of the locker. I go on top of the locker so nobody can see it. Nobody can steal my grilled chicken caprese salad. So I come down at halftime, interview Mike Tomlin, come running in, go up high, grab it, sit down. The photog- They had like some not great looking hot dogs or something in there. All the photographers look at me in wide-eyed wonder, stunned at the beautiful grilled chicken caprese sandwiches that I have in front of me. Now, I have bad acid reflux, so I took the tomatoes off, but it was fresh moots, Dave. It was fresh mozzarella with beautiful grilled chicken on a nice soft bun. I crushed all three. It was glorious. Had a diet Pepsi to make sure I had a little caffeine for the second half. Right when I get out of the locker room, Lisa Salter's just about to interview Brian Flores. I listen in. It was it was really perfection. It, it was, I would say if the dessert was a little bit better, it would have been A++ which I've never given out before. As it was, I'm still giving out an A+. It made my night. That and the Dolphins covering the 14 and a half made my... Oh, and the weather being really nice. Those three things made my night. (laughs) That was like reciting the Declaration of Independence. You, there is a fat kid inside your body, man. I mean, there is a real fat kid that has an appreciation for food. None of us can. I, I just want someone else to videotape you eating three plates so we can speed it up here on Home and Home and just make fun of the fat kid. Somebody please, a member of the media, record Ross Tucker at his next Monday night football showing. That was an impressive You know what is funny about that, Dave? You know, you, know, you know what is funny about that? What's funny is when I do those videos, okay, 
some people just look at me a little weird. Some people have kind of an awkward smile. But every once in a while, somebody will be like, is this the, is this the official one? Is, is this the real one? Is this the video that you're going to post? And I always want to say to that person, no, this is my practice video, bro. Of course it's the one I'm going to post. How many times do you think I go through while there's people there? I go through the food line videoing it. Yes, dude. It's the official one. Just like ZipRecruiter is the official hiring site of Home and Home and Radio.com Sports. They don't depend on candidates finding you. They find them for you. It's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter, said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan who I didn't tell you about earlier in this read. So you have no idea who I'm talking about. He is the CEO of Cafe Altura. While back, he needed to hire a director of coffee. He found that director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's really no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address ziprecruiter.com slash enter that ziprecruiter.com slash e-n-t-e-r ziprecruiter.com slash enter ziprecruiter it's the smartest way to hire all right the new york giants have hired themselves a new defensive lineman leonard williams acquired from the new york jets one of the rare trades in the history of the nfl where the player doesn't have to uproot himself his family doesn't even have to Find a new stadium. Doesn't even have to find a new locker room. Leonard Williams from the Jets to the Giants. We'll talk to Patricia Trena, who covers the Giants, after a quick break. NFL trade deadline less than eight hours away. It's going to be a very intriguing day. You want to stay on Twitter. You want to keep it right here on Radio.com on Home and Home. There's some whispers floating around that Darius Slay, the talented corner, could be headed to Philly, but a large asking price for the Eagles. Elsewhere in that division, the New York Giants acquired a former top 10 pick who has fallen on hard times. Leonard Williams, one of the unique trades in NFL history where you don't have to move, you don't have to uproot your family, you don't even have to find a new stadium or a new locker room from the Jets to the New York Giants. He goes, the New York Daily News says, good news or the bad news? Well, you go from one bad team to another bad team. Let's talk about it with Patricia Trena, who covers the Giants for SI.com. Patricia, thanks for being here. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. Tell us uh, how this trade came together and what happened to the former number six overall pick in the draft. Well, the Giants are always looking to upgrade. Dave Gettleman is always talking about 
you know, putting together, you know, talent and whatnot. And as far as Leonard Williams is concerned, depending on whose perspective you, you agree with, uh, he fell on some hard times, maybe wasn't exactly a fit for what the Jets were doing under Adam Gase and his new coaching staff. So he became expendable. And of course, when a team starts to lose, uh, they, they start to dismantle a little bit. They trade off guys. And Leonard Williams was in, the, I believe, the option year of his rookie deal. The Jets probably were going to go in a different direction. They were probably going to have a top 10 pick. So they decided, let's see if we can get something for him while we can. And the reported uh, compensation is, I believe, a third round pick in next year's draft and then a conditional fifth in 2021 which can turn into a fourth if the Giants sign Williams to a long-term deal. So, Patricia, the thing that's strange is that typically teams that are in playoff contention or have playoff aspirations are the ones acquiring players this time of year, and teams that realize that the playoffs are not really in the cards are the ones dealing players this time of year. So why would the two and six Giants acquire a player that has eight games left on his contract before he's a free agent? I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the Giants defense, I don't have to tell you, it's been awful. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. It has been awful. And what they have been trying to do to help that defensive backfield is they've been trying to put an extra guy back there. So that means they have to take an extra guy off the field. Now, what by doing that, teams have been able to successfully run the ball down the Giants' throat. So they, they think that maybe Leonard Williams can give them a guy who can not only push the pocket but also be stout against the run. So if they team them up with Dexter Lawrence, maybe they can get a little better push up front. Now, as far as the long-term ramifications, the way I see it is is you've got to look down the line with uh, roster building. So if the Giants like what they see from Leonard Williams over this next eight-game audition that he has, they sign him to a new long-term deal. They're going to have the cap space. And, you know, we can talk about the cap space this year and that impact in a moment. But beyond that, that I mentioned the Giants are going to give up a cop, you know, a, a conditional pick. So right now it's listed as a fifth round pick. If the Giants sign Williams to a to a deal, it becomes a fourth rounder. If the Giants don't sign Williams, then I don't know exactly what the criteria is, but I have to believe that they're thinking that they can get a comp pick in 2021 if Williams walks away next year. So I think that was part of the factor. It's it's part of building up draft capital to fix, you know, the, the team in the long term. Seeing a lot of that across the league. Talking to Patricia Trana covers the New York Giants for SI.com. This has only happened once. To my knowledge, 1983, the Giants traded offensive lineman Chris Foote to the Jets for a conditional draft pick. They later waived Foote, nullifying the pick, but the deal does actually count. Do we know what Leonard Williams thinks his reaction to this trade? You don't have to uproot your family. You don't have to find a new city, new schools, new stadium, new locker room. On the downside, you go from one bad team to another. He hasn't had an opportunity to speak to the media. The Giants are off today, and I believe the Jets are off as well. So our first exposure to Leonard Williams is going to be tomorrow, would be my guess. But he did put a note on on his Instagram account, you know, the, the traditional thank you, Jets fans. Thank you, Jets, for the opportunity. You know, farewell. You know, the, the, 
the traditional farewell note. But yeah, I mean, if you're Leonard Williams, I have to think that, you know, the fact that you don't have to uproot your family, you don't have to really move any place. You can keep your same apartment. You just now have to take a different drive to get to work in the morning. I got to think that's a, that's a, that's a boom. So here's what I don't understand also, Patricia. This is the other one that's interesting. Since when do the Giants and Jets trade with each other? I mean, you've been covering the Giants for a long time. Previously, like, the idea was unconscionable. Yeah, it, it is, actually. You know, it's, it's it's about as, you know, rare as, as seeing the Giants or any of the NFC East teams trade with each other because the idea is you don't want to, you know, help the other team. But Dave Gettleman has proven time and again that he's willing to rip up the rule book. And if, if the decision is in the best interest of the Giants, in his opinion, he'll make it. He's not afraid to do that. And, uh, you know, we've seen past instances where, you know, the Jets, the Giants will sign a Jets free agent. You know, they signed Damon Harrison a few years ago. The, the Jets might sign somebody that the Giants let go. I mean, so the two teams do engage in tapping into each other's talents, but just, you're, you're right, it's never really been done via a trade. So then the next question, Patricia, is you live there, and I know you specialize in the Giants, but you're obviously very aware of what's going on with the Jets. If, if you polled all the Giants fans and all the Jets fans, who would you say is feeling better right now about the future of their franchise? If I had to take a guess, I would say probably the Jets because, you know, as you pointed out before, the Jets are getting a, a draft pick right away, whereas the Giants didn't come out with a draft pick. And really, you know, as you know, the way to build a franchise the right way is through the draft. It's not through necessarily free agent. You use free agency to supplement your team, you use trades to basically, you know, if, if you're a player away or if you have an injury and you just have no, no chance of getting that player back, that's when you use trades. So I would say on the surface, probably the Jet fans would feel a little bit better. The Giant fans are, are still trying to come to grips with, you know, the cost involved, the, the um, you know, the draft picks that were given up, especially for a team that really needs to restock the, the refrigerator, so to speak. But, you know, what I found interesting is that neither the Jets or the Giants have uh, any of their 2015 class, uh, draft class members left on their rosters. And that that's really a damning statement for both clubs. That's a reminder of how far south it can go, Miami Dolphins. Tanking doesn't always work out because draft picks don't always work out. Are the Giants done dealing? Might they deal Janoris Jenkins before 4 o'clock? And a Hail Mary that you've heard a few whispers. Any chance they deal Eli Manning? I don't think that Eli is going to be dealt. I'd be very surprised. Remember, Eli has a no trade con uh, clause in his contract. Eli also has a young family that, you know, his kids are in school. So I can't see him going someplace to be a rental this year. Now, next year, obviously, all bets are off. You know, his contract is up this year. So I'd be shocked if they move him. Janoris Jenkins, I think, makes the most sense. Now, you got to remember, the Giants have to make a roster spot opening for Leonard Williams. So someone's going to have to be moved. 
whether that's Jenkins, whether that's Nate Solder, whether that's, you know, a player who we're not even thinking of, that remains to be seen. And then here's the other thing why trading Jenkins could make sense. If the Giants are going into full rebuild mode, which, you know, they've been in, but now it's kind of admitting that it is, they have Sam Beal, who is eligible to come off of IR this week. I think on Wednesday, he's eligible to come off of IR. So if you move Jenkins and you say, look, you know, we're just going to get these young kids experience and we're going to look ahead to the future, which really is what they've been doing with Daniel Jones, with Dexter Lawrence, with DeAndre Baker, you know, with O'Shane Zimenez. So why not get, you know, Sam Beal some snaps at corner? Why not get Julian Love, who, you know, have seen very few snaps on defense, some snaps? And why not start preparing for the for next year? Patricia, I also wanted to ask you, uh, speaking of the Giants, where are we at now on Shermer and Gettleman in terms of the hot seat? You know, for Adam Gase and Joe Douglas with the Jets, it's only year one. Year two for Shermer and Gettleman, do you think there's any chance that they don't get a year three? I'd be surprised if that's the case. I think Gettleman is on at least a three-year rebuild plan. Because you got to remember, when he came in here, the Giants were just absolutely a mess. I mean, none, not very many of the draft picks from the previous regime worked out. And if you go back and you look, I, I don't think they have very many picks. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned 2015, they have no no picks remaining. I don't think they have anything remaining from 2014. That is not the way to build a franchise. So I think Gettleman is going to get an opportunity, at least a three-year opportunity to, to restock the, the cupboard, so to speak. Shermer is an interesting thing. I do think he's going to get another year because of Daniel Jones. Now, some people will say, well, he's got, you know, he's going to have 14 games in with Daniel Jones. That's plenty of time. And if he doesn't turn it around, he's out. I don't think he's going to be out for the reasons I just spoke of. And that is the Giants are bringing in a bunch of young talent. And I think they're going to give him another year. You know, unless, of course, he has a, a, an epic meltdown of McAdoo proportions, you know, where he totally loses that locker room, then that then all bets are off. But I do think Shermer will be back another year. But with that said, if they don't start turning it around by next year, then I think it's it's probably fair to say that his seat is going to be really blazing hot. Indeed. Talking to Patricia Trana, covers the GiantsSI.com. Last question is about Danny Dimes. Boy, he was all the hype in this league for several weeks. The luster has, uh, you know, the shine has come off a little bit. Uh, threw four touchdowns this past week, but did fumble the ball twice. Made some curious uh, decisions. The four prior weeks, four touchdowns, seven interceptions. How has he played from your estimation? He's played like a rookie. I mean, we got to remember what he is. He is a rookie. Um, you know, he's learning to read NFL defenses and, and you guys know that, you know, the NFL, the speed is like nothing you see in college. Um, so, you know, he's learning things, you know, defenses have been fooling him. I think you go back and you look at what Bill Belichick did to, to him with the different disguises and, and the different tech, you know, schemes that he threw at him. And, and as a result, the Cardinals picked that up. And I think to an extent, the Lions picked some of that up because it is a copycat league. So as Daniel Jones learns about all this stuff, as he, you know, improves his awareness in the pocket, as far as pressure goes, and as he becomes even more and more comfortable, throwing to his various receivers and and you know he hasn't had his full set of weapons by the way uh since he took over the starting role i think he's going to get better i think they like his upside you know he's he's very 
he, he reminds me a lot of a young Eli, you know, nothing phases this kid. He's very, yeah. you know, if he makes a mistake, he goes back and he says, okay, you know, I'll get him on the next one. And that's so important because sometimes you see young quarterbacks get frustrated and just down on themselves. And, and, and now in addition to developing them, you have to play, you know, counselor to them to get their psyche back up. Sure. He's got a got an Eli face, too, already. Uh, Patricia Trana covers the Giants for SI.com. Follow her, Patricia underscore Trana. Appreciate the time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, Ross, let's, let's stay in the division because um, Washington dysfunction dominates my other career. So I'm curious if Washington dysfunction carries the day in the NFL as well. Trent Williams, do they deal him by 4 o'clock? If they don't, what the hell is wrong with the Washington Redskins? Well, I think that they do deal him now that the word is out that they are willing to deal him. Once that word gets out, Dave, it usually happens. Now, I told you before, I thought there was a very real chance that the Redskins did not trade Trent Williams because there are few organizations quite like the Redskins when it comes to proving a point, not giving a shit what other people happen to think about what they're doing and trying to not set precedent. And keep in mind, from the Redskins' perspective, they're not going anywhere this year. So trading Trent Williams now or trading him in March because he's under contract for another year really doesn't make any difference to them. Either way, they're going to get draft choice compensation for April of 2020 and beyond. So they're kind of in the leverage or the driver's seat, Dave, in the sense that they can afford to say, okay, you don't want it to give us what we want now to have him for the rest of the year? Then we'll just hold on to him. We'll set the precedent that you can't get your way out of here. We'll stand by our principles. We'll trade him in March. He'll have made $0 and 0 cents this year. But the flip side is you'd like to think that teams would be willing to give up more now to get him for a year and a half at least, as opposed to just one year in March. And that also, Dave, might be where the Redskins miscalculated in the sense that there's a lot of speculation that the Cleveland Browns want Trent Williams. But what are the Cleveland Browns right now? Two and five? Two and six? I got to look it up to make sure. But I guess part of me wonders, are the Browns really going to be as aggressive still at the trade deadline? Are the Browns really as interested in Trent Williams as they were two weeks ago, before two more losses, right? I mean, that that's the question. Did the Redskins trying to wait till the deadline actually hurt them because the Browns aren't buyers as much as they would have been a couple weeks ago? I don't know. I guess time will tell. Still seems to me like he's probably going to the Cleveland Browns. Ross Tucker, very quotable today. The Cleveland Browns lead the league in three things. For those of you not taking notes today on Home and Home, three things the Redskins lead the league in. Proving a point, 
not giving a shit what anyone thinks and setting a precedent. Everything else they pretty much suck at. This will be a very interesting day to see how dysfunctional Bruce Allen and the Washington Redskins and Dan Snyder truly are. Yeah, go ahead and prove a point instead of getting the best deal that you possibly can for Trent Williams. After all, the guy is 31. He does want a new contract. Get what you can for him and get it today. The Cleveland Browns are desperate. Washington also apparently open to trading Josh Norman. Big salary number. Can they move him? A lot of teams in need of defensive back help, but a lot of premier corners really out there. You bring up the Cleveland Browns, who are 2-5 and five after their latest debacle against the New England Patriots. And we got to talk about Freddie Kitchens. The first-year head coach looks like he is in way over his head. This time last season, earlier in the year, you remember he was a running backs coach, then he became the offensive coordinator, and then Hugh Jackson is out, and suddenly Freddie Kitchens is the head coach, and we all fell victim to the hype train there in Cleveland cover of Sports Illustrated. Everybody loved this team. They were going all the way there to shot at the Super Bowl, and now they are 2-5. and five. And the latest game is so interesting because, yes, everyone's going to lose to this Patriots defense right now, but Cleveland was coming off of a bye. You'd have thought they'd have had their shit together. You'd have thought they'd have a great game plan in line and weren't just spitballing out there, though that's the way it looked at times for Freddie Kitchens. The real number to focus on when you got a coaching issue sometimes is penalties, and they committed 13 penalties coming out of a bye week against the Patriots. They have now committed 70 penalties through seven games. But there was one, one against the Patriots that really crystallized the issues for the Browns and for Freddie Kitchens. For those of you that did not see that game, they were down 27 to 10. It was 4th and 11, their own 24-yard line with under seven minutes to go. They had one timeout left. The punt team comes on the field, but they didn't snap the ball. Nope, they took a delay flag, five yards. The offense comes back on the field. It's fourth and 16. They try to go for it from their 19-yard line. Holy crap, Baker Mayfield is sacked. Browns turn it over on downs. You know the end of this game. It was reported later on and confirmed by Freddie Kitchens that he meant to do that. There was some confusion, and once the punt team was out there, he didn't want to burn that last time out. He wanted the penalty. He wanted fourth and 16 and to go for it from his own 19-yard line. How indicative of the Brown struggles was that one penalty, and how does Freddie Kitchens dig himself out of this hole? Uh, I felt like it was very indicative of a guy who's clearly in over his head. I mean, Dave, both of his challenges, I could have told you right away, he had no shot of winning. It's such a bad sign. I really think that would be an interesting thing to go through and talk about the positions on an NFL organization that you can least afford to be incompetent at. You know, I think quarterbacks probably one, head coaches two, and that is why the Browns are in a very, very bad way. And frankly, Dave, it's not all that surprising. The guy was a running back coach a year ago. You make him the play caller, 
Then you make him the head coach running all of the clock management and game management and running the team for the first time in his life at any level. And he's still calling the plays. And it's clearly gotten to him. It's clearly too much. It's one of the major reasons why I told everybody that would listen before the season that I was taking the under on the Browns' season win total of nine games because I felt like seven or eight wins was a lot more likely than 10 or 11. I felt like best-case scenario, they probably push and get to nine. Now, it looks very likely at two and five that they even get there. And I think that we might have multiple, Dave, one-and-done coaches this year in the NFL. I think the Browns will have to strongly consider moving on from Freddie Kitchens after this year. Where is there any indication whatsoever that he's the right man to lead this franchise for years to come? Then you go to the New York Jets. I'm looking, Dave. I'm not seeing a whole lot from Adam Gase that leads me to believe he is the right man for the long term for this organization. What has he done positive? What has he done that you feel like, yep, he's the guy? I think there's a lot of owners that might have to end up eating a lot of money and make some tough, maybe they're not even that tough decisions later on this year. Now, there's one piece of good news for Cleveland, and it is the schedule. And I can't think of an easier schedule down the stretch than what they have remaining. And I see a path to nine wins, believe it or not. Here's the schedule remaining. Denver, win. Buffalo, they could go either way. Pittsburgh, win. Miami, win. Pittsburgh, again, win. Cincinnati, win. Arizona, good shot. Baltimore, loss. And they finish at Cincinnati, Another win. So this team has a shot to circle the wagons to get to at least eight wins, maybe nine, and maybe somehow week into the playoffs and maybe save Freddie Kitchen's job. But boy, he looks over his head deep. On the other side of the sideline was so interesting on, on Sunday, seeing the greatest coach of all time because Freddie Kitchens had to stare down Bill Belichick and watch him collect his 300th win just the third coach in NFL history to do so and that prompted me to ask if he would someday pass the next two in front of him he needs 47 to hunt down Shula 24 to move into second place he talked about how long he might be hanging around on WEEI he's talking about everybody's future this past week were you kidding that time you made the comment I don't want to be Marv Levy coaching in my 70s is that a joke yeah <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, remember? What, you remember what, he said it? Yeah, it no, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know when I said it, I maybe I didn't know what seventy felt like, so <laughs> not really sure if that's an accurate statement today or not. I don't really know. Uh, at the time, I didn't feel that way. Now that I'm closer to that age, I don't know. Trust me, that's what happens in life. I'm finding out. Yeah, exactly. It. Be a young eighty. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, young anything.
That's Bill Belichick on Ordway, Merloni, and Christian Fourier talking about coaching into his 70s. What they were referencing is once when Bill Belichick was asked, much younger man about Marv Levy, said, I don't want to be hanging around coaching into my 70s. He is 67 years old. And at this point, it's just hard to imagine Bill Belichick doing anything else. And you think there's no question he hangs around long enough, at least I'm saying four years after this year to hunt down Shula and get three, four. 48 Ross. Absolutely. Uh, I, mm. I think it would be surprising if he didn't. I think we've talked about this before. I think he wants those records. I also think he wants to show that he can have success without Tom Brady. He knows that will be the question about him and his legacy for decades. And even long after he's gone, that will be the question. It's frankly, Dave, why I have said time and again, I think that the most impressive head coach resume in NFL history belongs to Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs went to four Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks and won Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. That is awfully impressive. He also made the playoffs with, I believe, three other quarterbacks. So six total quarterbacks he has made the playoffs with in terms of Joe Gibbs. And he's won Super Bowls with three different non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks, by the way. None of them in the Hall of Fame. The position's just so important that, to me, to go to the playoffs with six quarterbacks none of whom are in the Hall of Fame, and to win Super Bowls with three non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks, I, I still think that trumps what Belichick's done to this point because Belichick's done all this winning with Tom Brady. We have to see what he can do without Tom Brady. I never thought about Joe Gibbs in that manner. Folks, let us know what you think about that. Let's get that up on Twitter. What is more impressive what Joe Gibbs did with all those different quarterbacks, none of whom went to the Hall of Fame, or what Bill Belichick has done with the greatest quarterback of all time. Not to mention Joe Gibbs then turned to another sport, NASCAR, dominated it, won at the highest level of NASCAR as well. Remembrance of the legendary Joe Gibbs. A great point there. Ross Tucker on fire on a Tuesday. We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk about more trade deadline rumors heating up in the NFL. Why Joe Flacco is suddenly hurt, or is he? Did his mouth get him in trouble with the Broncos? Plus, Jason Locke and Fora joins us. He'll have the latest big deals about to go down in the NFL. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 